Good morning. It's that kind of weekend, Labor Day weekend, holiday weekend, Fulham County Fair is going on, college football is rolling, and there's still a lot of other things going on too, right? Your agendas are full, I'm sure, and uh, so as you come here on the Sunday morning, I hope you're able just to let it all go. Just come in and worship and worship God freely and truly as he deserves to be worshiped. And with that being said, grab your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Greg's got them in the back. Just wave them up there. He'll look for you and bring it to you. Rhonda, thank you for continuing putting out the prayer request by email. Um, if you um, do not have that prayer list and you need it, talk to Rhonda. Talk to myself, Sarah, Landon, Dave, somebody. And we'll make sure we get you on that list. So you can be praying and update with church family members and what's going on. And sometimes some of you are like, hey, they don't go to our church, but I need to share this prayer request. So that's great. So feel free to do that. Okay. Everybody got their Bibles? Good. Now it's time for a quiz. What? Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, holiday weekend. Fulton County Fair is going on. Kids are out of school tomorrow. And if you're from Fulton County, Tuesday. So students, you get two days off. So we're going to take a quiz this morning. Aw. You got school tomorrow, don't you? Oh, wait, Tuesday. All right. Everybody else doesn't, so we're still going to take the quiz anyway. Sorry, Wednesdays. Anyway, okay, here we go. True or false, so it's really easy, okay? Don't, don't be cheating, okay? Don't be asking your neighbor, and don't worry, I'm not going to raise your hand, okay? Like, okay? Okay, true or false? Here's the first question. There are 71 books in the Old Testament and New Testament. True or false? I saw Jerry shaking his head back there, so that's correct. The answer is false. There's 66 books. Okay, so keep track of your score, okay? There's, there's eight questions, okay? So hopefully you're all one for one right now. Go. Question number two. True or false? Jesus had 12 apostles. True or false? The answer is true. Question number three. Exodus is the last book of the Bible. True or false? Genesis means beginning. That's correct. Yeah, Genesis means Exodus means you're exiting, so it's the last book of the Bible, right? No, it's Revelation, so that would be false. All right, three, three for three. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. True or false? Ooh, we'll go true on that one. Hopefully, a four for four. Number five. The angel Gabriel was sent to visit Mary and tell her about the impending birth of Jesus. True or false? True. Question number six. Proverbs is the longest book in the Bible. True or false? False. Proverbs is the, or Psalms is the uh, longest book in the Bible. Uh, number seven, Jesus was on the cross for six hours before he died. True or false? True. Last one, number eight. Moses was 100 years old when he died. True or false? False. So I had shake over this, right? 128 years old. Okay? So hopefully you're eight for eight. How did y'all do? Okay. If you went eight for eight, on the way out, you can give somebody a high five. Okay. You're, this isn't like some kind of show where you reach underneath, oh, I got your new book. Great. Okay. This isn't that. Okay. Um, next what? you know, I, I guess I would say that that was sort of an easy quiz. It was, hopefully, it was an easy quiz. Okay. If it wasn't, study up on the Bible a little bit more. You'll get it. Okay. But I could have made it a lot tougher. I could have made it not so easy. And if you think about it, in life, we have quizzes every day. We take tests every day. Sometimes it's not easy to spot whether or not something is 
true or false, as easy as that quiz was. You know, everybody follow me on this? You think through, sometimes people say things like, I don't know if that's really true or not. I heard something, I read something, but can I really trust the source that I got it from? So I wonder if it's really true. So we're going to take quiz number two. You thought you were done. Quiz number two, let's make it a little bit more difficult. Are these, let me rephrase that, these following statements are found in the Bible, true or false. Eat, drink, and be merry. Found in the Bible, true or false. True, actually. Ecclesiastes, you'll find it at 8.15 and Luke 12, 19. I'll say to my soul, soul thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, number two. Be the change you want to see in the world. False. Yeah, that's Gandhi. Sorry. Not God. Gandhi. Okay, number three. I am blessed and highly favored. False. Popular statement. You're all thinking of maybe what the angel said to Mary. Not exact phrasing. Nope. Well, I need exact phrasing. Blessed, highly flavored. Yeah, that's definitely not a favored. Favored. Not in there. Okay, next one. When God closes a door, he opens a window. In the Bible, true or false? I'm hearing a lot of false. If your Bible is the sound of music, then it would be true. Okay. Uh, Julie Andrews in 1965 film did say that. Okay, but Jesus didn't. Okay, so next one, honor thy father and mother, true or false? Oh, all the parents, you better be yelling true on that one, right? True, yeah. I think it's 100 times in there, something like that. Um, you'll find that one in uh, not only, well, it's Exodus, Exodus 20, 12 is where we find it. One of the often quoted commandments, right? Um, spare the rod, spoil the child. Mm, tricky one, be careful. False. Exact phrase is nowhere in the scripture. However, it is inspired by a proverb that you're all thinking of right now. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. So some of you are like, it's in there, isn't it? Not exactly, but yeah, the proverbs, but not that word for word. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's in the Bible, right? True or false? True. It's not just a Chris Tomlin song, okay? It is in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Now, that was a little bit tougher of a quiz. Some of you were like, yes, no, no, rats. Okay, so if you got however many were there, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of those, if you went seven for seven on that, congratulations. You've studied well. Good job. So if you're not a test taker, relax, we're done, okay? You take a deep breath and sigh and relief. We're done. School's out for now, okay? Um, but here's the problem is every day we're in school, so to say. Every day we have tests and quizzes. Every day something comes our way which tests us, which tests our knowledge, which quizzes us, which makes us ask, do I really know what's in the Bible? Do I really know what God's telling me to do? Am I really a good listener and a good learner? Because I get quizzed every day. I hear something say, now wait, is that true or not? Is that what God would say? Is that in his word? Is that the way a Christian should act? So I get quizzed all the time. And we need to understand this. We have an adversary, right? We have an opponent. We have a spiritual uh, opponent that wants to take us out. Everybody knows who that is, and that is the devil. It is Satan, okay? 
and he will do whatever he can to trip us up, to defeat us, including lying and deceit. Now, in the book of John, chapter 844, Jesus was talking to a group of religious leaders who were not religious at all, if I can say that. Maybe the best way to say this, they were not righteous at all. They were actually evil. And Jesus said this to them, you are the children of your father, listen, the devil. And you love to do the evil things that he does. So if you could sort of imagine devil right behind defining him, he does evil things. Jesus goes on to say this, he was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth. Everybody understand that about the devil? You need to make sure you hear this. He hates the truth. See, whenever you tell the truth, Satan gets mad at you. He hates you. When you tell a lie, you're sort of lined up with what he does. He always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, talking about sin again, it's consistent with his character because he is a liar, the father of lies. So understand that about Satan. When it comes to the things that influence our thoughts and our beliefs, we need to understand this. When we hear things that sink into our thoughts and our beliefs, here's what happens. Those are the things that direct our actions and our behavior. When we make choices in his life, it gets processed in here and here before it comes out here. So we have to make sure that what we're listening to, what we're seeing is true because that's what we act on. Everybody following me on this? Okay. The things that have potentially eternal consequences comes from outside. They can be false or true. And since Satan is the father of lies, he's always going to be feeding you false truths. Okay? Things that are not true. So Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert. Stay alert. The devil, your great enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan wants to destroy you. He will use falsehoods, false truths, lies, whatever it may be. It's just a little white lie. You're speaking his language. He will use those to destroy you. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his, listen, his evil schemes. He doesn't just sort of sit around saying, I wonder what you know, I can do to trip somebody up. He sits around and schemes up. He thinks. He plans. He looks at what's going on in this world and says, what can I do to trip up every Christian in this world? What scheme can I orchestrate to cause people to doubt the God of this universe? So we have an enemy who's fiercely opposed to the extension of God's rule on earth. So we shouldn't be surprised to find the Lord warning us in the Bible about Satan and his trickery. Now, why am I bringing this up today? Because this was sort of part of our dark and confusing series that we talked about. And it's sort of how it all began because the way it began was months ago when um, Colin was on Facebook and he saw somebody say something about Scripture that wasn't true, completely true. Is one of those half-truths. It was Scripture that was taken twisted some. And Colin spotted it and said something back to this person and said, so that's not correct. According to God's word, this is what it means. That person, and along with a few others, jumped in and called Colin the Antichrist, and among other things, 
Yeah, I know. It's so characteristic of my son. But anyway, um, they come in with all these other things. And I told Colin, I said, Colin, you've got to be careful. When you hop in on conversations and blogs and so forth online and social media, you don't know who you're messing with. You're dealing with people who take, are already taking scriptures. If they're already taking scripture and twisting it, do you think it's going to be a godly conversation that's going to continue? Do you think you're going to win this battle with them, even though you're holding up God's truth to them? Do you really think they're going to say, oh, you're right. You are such a good Christian. I guess I'm not. They're not going to do that. They're going to take more truth and twist it even more and make you look worse in your walk with God. So that's what happened a couple months ago. And then I started noticing if you look on any social media and you see somebody post a comment or a scripture and you sort of follow the trail of comments, you get almost a little irritated. What? Why are they saying that? That isn't true. Sort of get caught up in the web of lies and twisting. And it's a dangerous spiral and path. And you've got to be careful with that. So I was thinking about that and I thought, wait a minute. If that's just one conversation on social media, then there are millions of conversations happening all the time, every day on social media. And a lot of them are not true. Isn't that somewhat scary? That the devil's language is being used every day in lies and distorted truths. So I sit back and look at that and say, I've got to address this with our church family because we've got to be careful what we listen to because suddenly something happens in America, a decision is made, or something happens in the news and comments are made and Christians start taking sides. We base our sides on people's opinions, the distorted opinions, the distorted truths of people instead of what God says about it. And suddenly the church becomes divided because we are siding with people that sound like they've got a good argument. Are you following me on this? That's why as a church, I want to come to you and say, listen, it's important that we understand this. When you look at social media and a lot of stuff that's going on there, we must be very careful what we read and who the people are that are writing those things. And we must check their backgrounds. We must understand Check the fruits of what's being written here. Because we could very easily get caught up listening to somebody who is a false teacher. Somebody who is a tool for the devil being placed in the midst of Christians. Follow me on this? I'll make sure you're listening here, okay? Turn with me now in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Let's see what Jesus has to say all about this. Matthew chapter 13, if you remember a few weeks ago, and even last week out of our baptism, we're talking about some of the stories that Jesus tells. They're parables. And as he's telling these, these stories, these parables, um, he, he, just, he has a story that describes a situation, and in that situation there is an incredible truth behind it. And in this story, this parable, Jesus is talking, and, and he shares a story, and of course, the disciples walk away like, I'm not sure I was following that. Jesus pulls them aside and says, let me explain it to you. 
So we're going to read part of the scripture, the story, and then we're going to read the explanation, which is a few verses after that, and I'll point you to it. So let's start in Matthew 13, verse 24. Here's another story that Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as everyone slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. And when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's servants came and told him, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. An enemy has done it, the farmer exclaimed. Well, shall we pull out the weeds, they asked. He replied, No, you'll hurt the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest, and I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weed and burn them and put the wheat in the barn. So he tells a couple more stories, and then as he gets done, the disciples are like, can you help us out a little bit more with this? So let's read down to verse 37. They went inside the house, and the disciple says, please explain the story of the weeds in the field. We need to get this. All right, verse 37, he says, I, the son of man, am the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. The good seed represents the people in the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one, the devil, Satan. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. And just as the weeds are separated out and burned, so it will be at the end of the world. I, the Son of Man, will send my angels. They'll remove from my kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll be thrown into the furnace and burn them. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the godly will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. And anyone who's willing to hear should listen and understand. And in this story, we see this farmer, the son of man. He plants good seed in the field, okay? And as he does this, there's an enemy of the farmer, Satan, the devil, who sneaks in, and he plants weeds amongst the wheat. Time goes by. All of a sudden, the wheat is coming up, but along with the wheat are the weeds, now they're mixed up and intermingled. And of course, the workers are looking at this saying, oh, this is going to ruin the harvest. I mean, what do we, should we pull out the weeds? Who's done this? And Jesus explained that the devil comes in and he plants his weeds amongst the wheat. And he says, there will be a harvest time. There will be a, se a separating, a sorting like I talked about last week. And that's at the point in time when Jesus will separate the wheat from the weeds, the righteous from the evil. We discover that Satan's placing people in position next to Christians, and those people are counterfeit. Sometimes they're hard to tell the difference, sometimes not so much. So what is Jesus telling us here? Listen very carefully, okay? Again, I don't want my words to get distorted as I try to explain what Jesus is saying here, but we need to be alert to the fact that Satan mixes his people among Christians. Okay? Now, this is not a witch hunt. Oh, you know, look at the person next to you. So, you really a Christian? Okay. All right. Don't worry about that right now. Okay? There are so many who pretend to be Christians. They say religious things. They act religious ways. But their words are always false. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 15. He's warning people about false prophets who look like they're religious. Okay? The wheat. But in reality, they're weeds. They're evil. He says this, These people are false prophets. They're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they'll get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Paul calls them servants of righteousness. Servants of righteousness. The guys behind the pulpit. Paul's calling out false teachers. He said it isn't just people that sit in the worship. It's the people who are leading worship are false as well. You've got to be aware of that. You've got to be on the lookout for that. You need to understand, are they true or are they false? Are they preaching Christ or are they preaching themselves? John shares some of these same people prove themselves to be weeds by the fact that they themselves, they don't stick around, but they choose to leave. And John says in 1 John 2.19, these people left our churches. They never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. But when they left, it proved that they did not belong to us. And John was just saying, there were some people that come to worship, but when they came to worship, they really weren't Christians. They really didn't want to worship God. They wanted to worship themselves. They wanted to maybe speak truth or chaos into what God has brought order. Here's the second thing I want you to hear about this. Jesus didn't pretend that the church was perfect. He didn't come in and say, the wheat field is perfect. No weeds in there. The church is perfect. There's nothing wrong with the church. Jesus didn't say that. He shares another story, a parable uh, of the mustard seed. But before he does that, I guess he's trying to help us understand, yeah, the church is full of hypocrites because we all sin, right? The church is not perfect. It just isn't. After Jesus shares this story, sort of alerting the disciples to say, listen, you need to understand, amongst those who love God are some people who don't love God. Be aware of that. Then he goes on to another story. Follow with me in verse 31 now. We're still in Matthew chapter 13. Let's look at 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. Grows into a tree where birds can come and find shelter in its branches. Now, some theologians agree that this parable uh, continues to help explain the previous point being made. But what they point out is that the growth of the mustard seed is very abnormal. See, it's, it's the largest of the plants, but it's not a tree. But it says in this parable that it grows to be a tree. When you look at the church as people of God, we sometimes wonder, how can we be right with God? How can we be a body of people that create an incredible movement? How did it start with those disciples and grow to where the church is now? That's such an abnormal thing to think, isn't it? That's what Jesus is saying. The body of Christ is big. It's growing in an abnormal way, right? But then he says this. He says the church is going to be victorious. And he doesn't use that cedar or oak tree to illustrate this, but he uses that mustard seed. But he goes on to say this in, in context of Matthew 13. He goes, but we find birds in that mustard seed tree. Did you see that? Look at that again. It becomes the largest I'm sorry, garden plants grows into a tree where birds can come and find shelter in its branches. It sounds all nice, right? But the birds that are finding shelter in the tree, if we stay in context with this chapter, we look back at some of the previous stories that Jesus told in chapter 13, the birds were the messengers of the devil, the dumb stuff that came in and plucked the seed out of the soil and killed the seed. So now those birds are finding rest in that tree. Jesus is saying, mm, be careful. 
Be careful, evil people will infiltrate and are present amongst God's people today. So now we come to the third story that gives a similar message, the parable of yeast. Look at verse 33. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast used by a woman making bread. Even though she used a large amount of flour, the yeast permeated every part of the dough. Now, nearly all cases in the Old Testament, when you're looking at yeast, it's a symbol of evil. It was excluded from every offering to the Lord that was used in sacrificial laws of Israel. At the same time, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, every faithful Jew was to go search through the home. Kids, if you can think like hide-and-seek, you lost something, you're going to find it, you're playing a game. The Jews would go search all through the home for any trace of yeast and get rid of it. Because again, today, done by Orthodox Jews, that symbolism is that of finding sin and getting rid of it. Now, Jesus, later in the book of Matthew, speaks of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, meaning their evil influence. Paul, a follower of Jesus Christ, who wrote all these little uh, books in the New Testament, also said this, it's a deviation from the truth of the gospel as Satan's evil persuasion, adding that, believers, you need to be aware of this. He says in Galatians 5, 9, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So see, we've got three stories going on here where Jesus is saying there's a great field full with wheat, but also weeds. There's a beautiful tree that has birds in it. And there is a little yeast that works its way through the whole, whole dough. What are we discovering in these stories? What is he trying to share? Going back to what I said before, we live in dark and confusing times. And we read blogs shared by well-meaning people we read posts shared by people who, who want to make a difference, but the problem is they take God's word and they twist it to fit their opinion, not truth. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we got to make sure, one, we don't do that, but two, we got to make sure that we are discerning and say, that person that I'm reading right now, I need to know, is this truth or not? Have they taken the, twi the truth and twisted it? Because here's the problem. If I believe their twisted truth, guess what happens to my behavior and my actions? My behavior and my actions are now twisted, and I'm no longer following God as I should follow God. We have to be on guard against Satan's tactics. We must especially be aware of the church becoming secular. We've got to make sure the church doesn't change the way it was created to be. We've got to be careful that we don't give in to the world's wisdom and the world's theology and the world's agenda and the world's methods. And again, I don't want to, listen carefully, I do not want to criticize any other church that's going on in this county, in this state, in this world. I'm not here to say, well, the big churches out there are doing this and that's not really God-like. We're not doing that this morning, okay? We're not doing that. We've got to be careful as a church, as the body of Christ, that we do not become worldly. The church can easily get caught up on trying to reach people from Christ and become worldly. And instead of relying on God's spirit, we rely on the media. Well, if we let the media do all the work and all the means instead of us actually going out and loving people and sharing the truth with people, is that really reaching people for Christ? Instead of relying on God's spirit, we rely on maybe clever speech and entertainment. Is that becoming worldly? We have to be careful not to dilute truth with worldly speech. And this is what I mean. Sin is sin not dysfunctional behavior. 
my child has dysfunctional behavior systems going on. No, your child is sinful. My husband, my wife, my friend, all of us, we can, we can exclaim, well, the way I'm acting right now, I've just got this dysfunctional behavior going on. No, you just got sin going on. Let's just call it what it is. It's sin. It's okay. We're told, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? There is none righteous. No, not one. Paul told us that. We're all sinners. But it's a dysfunctional behavior. No, it's sin. Salvation is God's plan. Salvation is God's gift to us. It's, it's grace given to us, okay? Salvation is not good self-esteem or wholeness. I need to be whole as a person. I need to have good self-esteem. No, you need to be saved. Okay? I want you to understand, and I hope you're all sitting here saying, Rex, why are you talking about this? You know what? If you've got little question marks going on in your head right now, it's because we've done a good job of preaching truth here. But if you step into a church, it talks about being, you need to be whole and you need to feel good about yourself and you got a lot of dysfunctional behavior going on right now. No, 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 no. There's sin in this, in this world. And God saves us from it by His, by His grace alone. Jesus is not, listen, I've used this before. Jesus is a great coach, right? He's not just a coach. Jesus is a great teacher. He's not just a great teacher. Jesus is the Savior of the world. When people start taking who Jesus is and twist that around, he no longer becomes the Savior of this world. We're in trouble. Okay? I've been to too many camps, and I probably back up to my first few days of being a youth pastor. If I could go back and look at the things that I wrote and said, I'd probably say, wow, change that, don't say that again. I would. Because I've watched youth pastors, pastors get up and say, you know, you want Jesus to be the quarterback of your life, you come up here and surrender right now. It's like, I want him to be the quarterback of my life. No, you don't want to be the quarterback of your life. You want to be the savior of your life. But we use words to grab people that hit their heartstrings and their emotions. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, I hope I never did that. I probably did. But if I did, God forgive me because that was a mistake. Jesus needs to be the savior of our life. Not the quarterback, not the coach, not the pilot, co-pilot, not the front seat driver, not whatever. He needs to be my savior. I know some of us probably got bumper stickers and t-shirts. He's my pilot, co-pilot. That's all right. That's okay. Just cross out duct tape and put savior. Okay? That will work. Okay? But we got to be careful. And again, the reason I'm saying this is because we can lose focus really quick on who Jesus is, what sin is, what grace is, and we got to know these things. Do we focus on happy marriages and raising nice children? Or do we focus on how to get right with God, whom we've offended? I just want a happy marriage. That's good, but that's actually a byproduct of being right with God. The God that we've offended, if we get right with him, I think the raising the kids and the marriage thing is going to come a little bit easier. But if all the focus is on this other stuff, let's get to what matters first, right? From the pulpit, although it's not enjoyable, I must preach truth. I must stand up here and say, listen, the gospel is this. this. The gospel exposes our sins. And sometimes we don't like our sins exposed. We don't like stepping on people's feet, you know? Not fun. I'll admit that. It makes us uncomfortable. But you know what it does? It drives us to our Savior. When sin is exposed, it's like, oh, man, I'm a mess. Or, wow, I need to, I need to change that up. Good. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you saying, Get to the Savior. Get things right. Okay. Satan's active. Yeast permeates, weeds grow, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? 
we can find victory in him. God will bring his church to complete maturity and holiness in time. So what do we do with all this? You know, the false teaching, this, just to understand this, false teaching equals false living. False teaching equals false living. And bits of, bits of false lies, whatever you want to call them, okay, just little bits of them will permeate the whole soul. You've got to be careful of that. So be alert. Just because somebody tosses something out that sounds religious doesn't mean they are religious, okay? That would be my first thing I'm going to say to you and, and try, let's put this to application, okay? Let, let's, let's wrap this up, okay? Here's the first thing I would say is this. Because somebody tosses something out that sounds religious doesn't make them religious. Ask God to help you be discerning, okay? Arguments, blogs, online, social media, they can lead to dangerous paths. So God, give me the wisdom to know what is truth, what is not truth. If this is not truth, steer me away from it. Help me to focus on what is true. When it comes to spotting weeds, I'll say this. I'm okay with spotting a few weeds. When I grew up on the farm, we walked to the bean field. We had to pull weeds and cut them with the corn cutter and all that kind of stuff, okay? So I could recognize certain weeds, velvet leaf, whatever it may be. I, I knew it, okay? Man, I'm a good weed puller, okay? But there are some weeds that I do not recognize. If, if When we bought our house, you know, we went from one house to another house to another house. The last house we moved to, the people who lived there before us loved landscaping. I'm like, Grass and cornfields are fine with me, okay? And I'm looking out, and I'm going, what is, is that a flower or a plant? I don't know. We had somebody come over and walk with us and say, oh, that's a plant, that's a flower, that's a plant, that's a plant. My mom even helped me out some, and then, and then they all left, and I don't retain much up here. So I walked back, I said, is that, I don't know, I'm going to pull that. That was a flower. Oh, back in. My bad, you know. I don't know. Um, so we've decided, there's a couple places, we finally said, let's just rip it all up and put grass down. I know what that is, okay? Um, but the weeds and the plants, sometimes I just don't know. Sometimes I don't know until they grow up and mature, and then all of a sudden when they're blooming, it's like, ah, that's a weed. Okay, should have pulled that one weeks ago, but I didn't know. It took a while for me to figure that one out. Others, because I've always known them, I, they're easy to spot, right? Some, the dandelion, okay, is a weed, okay? But we look at it and say, oh, look at the pretty yellow flower. And our kids like them. They draw pictures. They pull them out. Moms, you probably, the first couple of mama days or mother's days, you probably got those. Like, yeah, mama. You know, they give you like the pretty little dandelions. You're like, that's a weed. Thank you. Okay. Kids, that's okay if you want to give your mom weeds. They like that. Okay. Um, but anybody else who likes controlling the weeds in their yard hates dandelions because they're weeds, right? But it looks so pretty. See, this is what I'm saying. Some things that are false, false teachers, like the weeds, I don't, sometimes I can't spot them right away until I see the fruit of their actions down the road. Then I realize, oh, they're preaching about themselves, not Christ. Oh, they're preaching about a founder of a faith and not Christ. Or some weeds are so obvious, like, boom, not going to listen to you because I know you're a weed, right? Ask God to discern, to help you understand, is this truth or is this a lie? Just like I had to ask for somebody, is that a flower or is that a weed? We got to do the same thing. God, is this truth or is this a lie? Ask God to help you with that. And here's what I would say finally, and I say this every week because I'm a firm believer in this. So if I repeat myself over and over every Sunday, so be it. Be firmly rooted. Be firmly rooted in God's Word. 
You know how you can discover lies? By knowing the truth. When you know the truth, when the lie is presented, it's easier to spot. Counterfeiters, you've heard this before, if you want to discover whether money is counterfeit or not, they don't study the counterfeit money. They study the actual place, the money that is made from. They know exactly what that dollar looks like. They don't study the counterfeit dollars. They study the real thing. When they study the real thing, they're able to recognize counterfeits right away. When we study God's word and study the truth, counterfeit false teaching that comes our way, we can discern a lot quicker. So know God's word. Be in God's word. Colossians 2, 6-9 says this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep in him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. My brothers and sisters in Christ, my challenge to you, what I've been dealing with over the last few months, is seeing that there's a lot of false teachers out there. There's a lot of twisted truths out there. We must, as believers in Christ, discern what is true, what is false, and make sure that we're acting on what is true and not what is false. Because false living, false thinking, I'm sorry, leads to false living, and we do not want that. We want to be firmly rooted in God's truth so that we can live in a righteous way. Amen? Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You're an awesome God. God, sometimes uh, we get caught up in arguments or conversation and we're not sure whether or not it's true. We want to believe it's true because maybe that person we were with was uh, called themselves a Christian or maybe they were uh, a preacher or a teacher. And so we just figured, well, they got a title, so they must be godly. But God, just because somebody has a title, just because somebody calls themselves a Christian doesn't necessarily mean they're actually following you. Because we know that the devil has schemes and tricks. He wants to trip us up, mess us up, and live in a way that does not honor you. So he sows his weeds among the wheat. And he puts his trees in the bird, and he puts his yeast in the dough try to permeate and disrupt his people. So God, help us to guard against that. Help us to be alert to that. Help us to get our roots deep in you, firmly rooted in truth. Help us to pick up your word every day and to study it. And when we see somebody quote something or have a nice little snippet and say, oh, that must have come from the Bible, God, may your spirit rise up in us and say, I'm going to check that out and see if that's true or not. And God, if we start to waver from the truth, Lord, let us bring each other back to the truth. If we find a brother or sister that's like, hey, I, I think you might be seeing that passage wrong, let us in love confront one another and discover truth together. God, I thank you for this church. 
But God, we can only be a strong church that's victorious when we're living on truth. And it's not about pride being right. We want to be right with you. When we're right with you, we're going to be living right. And when we're living right, we're going to be so different than this world. People are going to wonder what's going on. We'll point those people back to you. A loving God who wants to redeem us from our sins. So God, thank you again for this time where we've just been reminded it's important that we know you, we know your word, we live it out. God, as we sing this song of worship to you, continue to speak to our hearts. Maybe, Lord, there's something going on in our lives right now we need to surrender to. Maybe uh, you just have not been very dedicated or committed to reading your word. Maybe we need to sort of make that commitment to you to get back into it. Maybe we need to get part of a small group, an accountability group, a discipleship group. Maybe we just need to surrender our lives to you and get things right. Whatever it is, God, work in our hearts right now. And as we sing, we'll surrender this to you. In that name we pray, amen.